child of God is, um, excuse me, my mouth is drying up, is a priest. So we don't, we have to realize that we become the priest in the New Testament. We become the very people who attend to the tabernacle. You see what I'm saying? The Holy Ghost, the presence of God, it rests in our hearts, in our lives. And so we become keepers of the tabernacle. All right? So that's what, number one, we have to realize. That's in 1 Peter 2, 9, if you don't believe me. We can always approach God freely at any time without fear of reproach. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. I, I know that there are times where we go and all of a sudden it's just Jesus is about all you can get out. Something's getting ready to happen. I read a, um, I was reading a book the other day and Brother Urshan and his wife, this was back before he had passed away, were on an airplane. And the airplane was flying to Texas. They were going to a conference. And as the airplane began to nosedive, the engines were failing. And they got down, and he, he looked at his wife, and his words were, Well, we always wanted to die together. And, and under her realizing what was happening, all she could do was say, Jesus! And about that time, the plane leveled out about 10,000 feet. And so the engines all of a sudden started working again. So all I'm saying is you don't have to go through the tabernacle prayer in a crisis, all right? There's times where his name's more than enough, all right? You're like, oh, Lord, what is that again? Um, so, so just realize that, that you can always approach God freely at any time without fear of, of reproach. However, the mode of approach foreshadowed in the earthly tabernacle reveals to us a, con a consecrated way of entering boldly into the presence of God, one which is pleasing to him. And so this tabernacle prayer allows us to enter into the presence of God without us feeling like we are unworthy. That's what it's about. So I gave you a handout. I want, want you guys to have that. Um, the first thing in the tabernacle is the gates. The gates are absolutely the first thing that you would pass through. And the Bible says in Psalms 100, 100 verse 4, if you could flip that one slide, that's what the gates look like, something similar to have the same colors. The, the gates of the tabernacle were like that, and you would pass through the tabernacle gates. And Psalms 100 verse 4 says, to enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. So, so then I equate that the gates of God means that when I first enter into a place where I'm approaching him, that I must give thanks. Does that make sense? So the first thing I do is I give thanks in all things. It doesn't matter if it's been good or if it's been bad. I simply give thanks. I'm thankful because I know where I used to be and I'm not there anymore. So it don't matter how hard it is now, I'm not where I was. Amen? So I give thanks. Praise God, I feel the Holy Ghost. And I want you to realize that the gate was not small in the Old Testament tabernacle. I also... I'll get to that point in a minute. I'm getting the three points in my head. I'm so excited about this. I apologize. The gate of the entrance was not small. It was large. The reason it was large was it signified that regardless of the sin that was in a person's life, that he is not going to keep anyone out of his presence. See, regardless, because they had to get through the gate in order to offer the sacrifice of repentance. All right? And I'm going to tell you now, I also, in studying for this, I found out that, that the, the actual tabernacle was pointed west. Now, 
what, what significance might that have? Well, it's very important to realize that in that time, there was a God, the sun God, whose name was Allah. All right? And guess what they did in that biblical time? They would kneel down and so many times a day to the east, and they would pray. And so in God's wisdom and mercy, even when Moses was around, he said, I will not be shadowed with any other God. We're going to point towards the West. And so, so it's significant today because Islam has adopted the sun God as their God. They still do it today. They go to the East so many times a day, kneel down on a carpet and pray their prayers to a God named Allah, who they call the one true God. All right? There's significance in every aspect of the tabernacle, even the way that in the direction it's facing. Okay, the Bible says that God will call whosoever to come to him. It doesn't matter of your status. It doesn't matter of your, your wealth income. It doesn't matter how low you've been in your life. It, it's whosoever, Brother Louis. It doesn't matter. Anybody, and that's why the gate is big. Psalms um, 95 verse 2 says, uh, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. So as we come into the presence of God, the first thing we should do is what? Thank him. Have a, have a spirit of thanksgiving. The second place that you would enter into in the tabernacle was the, the outer court or the court area. Now this, the Bible says, you go back to Psalms 100 verse 4, it didn't say just enter his gates with thanksgiving, but it also said enter his courts with praise. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It does not make any sense without the tabernacle. What court or gate do I ever enter without the tabernacle? There's, have, you ever, you, you, have you ever just entered through a gate, maybe at Six Flags, and, whoo, thank you, Lord, for the Six Flags. We don't do that. It doesn't make sense. It's, so the concept behind Psalms 100 was very specific to the tabernacle. So if I enter into his gates, I'm going to come with thanksgiving. And then when I enter into his courts, I'm going to enter with praise. Now I could go in and I could tell you all about praise and what praise is and why we should praise him and all that. But I'm not going to because I believe that everybody in here knows how to praise God. I just witnessed it. So the point is, is what I, I praise him. I, pray him for, I praise him for who he is and I praise him for what he has done. All right? I'll tell you what, because there's power when I start talking about who he is. There's power when I start talking and saying, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. There's, there's not. There, that's the only saving name. So there's power that happens when I begin to put him in his place. All right? So the second thing I do is I praise him for who he is and I praise him for what he's done. All right? Psalms 150 puts it like this. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Do you want to know what I got out of that? It really don't matter what you do. Just praise Him. It don't matter how you praise Him. It doesn't matter what your idea of praise is. The fact is that I have to take an action towards Him. And something has to come out of my mouth. And I just get it. got to give Him praise. All right? 
Praise God. Now, this is significant. And I'm not, I, I, I know my pastor said the other night that the first thing he did whenever he come before God was to repent. And I'm not taking away. You, you, you do whatever you want. I'm not contradicting his prayer life. I'm telling you what God's given me on a personal level. The, the third thing that you would approach is the brazen altar. And the brazen altar in the Old Testament, they would, they would bring a sacrifice to the brazen altar to remit their sin. And so the brazen altar is the one on the left. The brazen altar in this sense, this is to crucify our flesh. It is for us to repent and it is for us to sacrifice. We have to have those, those levels in our life. So... Um, Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. This is the place of crucifixion. This is the place where you lay down yourself. This is the place where you say, God, uh, I present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. This is where I get on my face and I say, God, I've got iniquity in me, like Isaiah 59.2 says. He said, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins had hid his face from you that he will not hear. So in this moment, I realize that the repentance, I've got to get to a place where I get it repented so that he will hear me. All right? My iniquities, my self-will, it separated me so he can't even, he can't even hear me. Acts 3, 9, or 19 says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So it's saying before I'm going to get into the presence of the Lord, before I'm getting, going to get into the refreshing of the Lord, I've got to get to a place of repentance. Revelations 2.5 says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. We go to Titus 2.13. It says, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Now there's that word again, that iniquity, that self-will, those things that have been passed down to us. And purifying unto himself a peculiar people. He is purifying us. That's what repentance does. That's why Paul said, I've got to die on a daily basis. I've got to take my flesh to the brazen altar every single day. And I've got to lay it down. And I've got to say, I'm not going to let it get the best of me today. It's not going to drive my decisions. I refuse to let it dictate to me. My flesh is not in control. I'm crucified with Christ. It's not I that live, but He that lives in me. My God, my God. And so after we get to this part, after we get to a place of repentance, and I must say that repentance is not just saying, God, forgive me. It's saying, God, forgive me, and I'm going to do my best not to do it again. I'm going to turn from that stuff. I'm going to turn from whatever that hate or that anger or that envy or that self-righteousness, whatever it is, I'm just going to turn. The fourth thing that we come to is the laver or the wash basin, depending on where you're at, the brazen laver. And this is symbolizing of washing or cleansing. This is what happened to us in baptism. Whenever you go down in Jesus' name, you are cleansed and your sins are blotted out. They're forgotten and you're white as snow. God doesn't look at you the same way. 
You take on His name. You take on His countenance. And so, this, this symbolizes um, cleansing. If we could, um, somebody get, get Romans 12.2 for me, if you would, bro. Uh, does somebody else have their Bible? Somebody up here? I need, you got, I, get me um, James 1.27. Get Psalms 24 and 4. That's my next one. All right, go ahead. Just read it loud. All right. Give me Romans 12:2. Okay, so it's saying it's saying you can't stay in the same place. You can't you have to be you have to be renewed in your mindset all the time because if you let your mind go too far, it's going to start transforming to the way the world thinks. It's going to transform to the way that the world acts. All of a sudden, you're going to find yourself doing the things that the world does. And if you're a Christian, you ought not be in those situations. You just shouldn't look, act, respond, anything like the world. There ought to be a difference in your home than in the homes of the world. Praise God. All right. And then if we go to James 1, verse 27. Oh, really? Pure religion and undefiled before God. I was already there. <laughs> Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. That means when I wash myself, I need to wash the world off me. I got to get clean. You got to realize that there is in... When we are washing ourselves, it's not just with water, but we literally wash ourselves with the blood of the Lamb. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses the inside. Does that make sense? I know it's that blood in, in our, in what we think of blood makes us dirty and nasty and it's sticky and it's gross and we want to get it off of us. But if it's the blood that Jesus shed, it better be all over me. It better be on the most in part, the in part, inner parts that I have all the way to the outer extremities. Every member of my body, God, I submit it to you and I want you to wash me in your blood. Wash my mind, purify my heart, give me clean hands, God. Anything. Anything, just make me clean. Now this is at the wash basin. This is, this is at the wash basin before you ever enter into the tabernacle. Psalms 51.7 says, Purge this up and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. What is unique about this scripture is that hyssop in biblical times was only used to sprinkle in a ceremony. It was a type of mint and it would sprinkle on people. What's amazing is in this psalm, David is saying, purge me. That, not just, don't just sprinkle it on me a little bit, God, but take it from the top and to the bottom. Purge me with cleanness. Oh, praise God. And then wash me, God, and I'll be whiter than snow. 
And so once you get through this type of prayer, I've entered his gates with thanksgiving. I've, I've had plenty of time to give him thanks for the good things in my life and the bad things in my life. And I've entered his courts with praise. And at the moment of praise, I've been able to praise him for who he is and praise him for what he's done. And just praise him for whatever I feel like, for whoever I got the Holy Ghost last week or for whoever, whoever was baptized or whoever was healed. I just praise him because he's a good God. And after I've done that and I've went to a place of repentance and I found a place where I can sacrifice and I can lay down my life and I can say, God, there was a cross that you carried, so I'm going to put a cross on my back and I'm going to carry it along with you. And if I do this every single day, do you see how it can become a pattern? It can become something that all, every day I pick up that cross and I carry it with me to work. Every day I pick up the cross and I carry it with me in my car to work. I carry it with me at, to the grocery store. Every place I go, I have the cross with me. And if the cross is with me, guess what's going to happen? The power of the cross is going to be active in my life. And when the power of the cross is active in my life, the Bible says that these signs shall follow them that believe that we're going to do all manner of miracles just because we're carrying the cross. we got to get to a place of sacrifice. we got to get to a place where we lay down our life for God and we say, I'm consumed by you. I want to be used by you. No matter what it takes. No matter what you got to do in my heart. No matter how hard it might get. I want to be used. I'm going to tell you what, it's hard to carry a cross and carry sin too. You're going to, you're going to step, I promise you, every step you make in life is going to be towards God. It's going to be away from God. But you don't step in the same direction. You don't stay in the same place. Every decision you make is either closer to Him or it's further away from Him. Every single one. Feel the Holy Ghost. My. And I'll tell you what, once you are purged and once you are clean, it was in this aspect and only in this aspect that the Levites and the priests that were attending could enter into the tabernacle, into the holy place, which is the fifth place in which we go. This is the place where you stand before God to make your supplication. This is the place where you say, God, this is my need. This is my church's needs. This is my family's needs. This is what we're going through right now. This is what's hard in my life right now. It's not until this point, because at this point I'm completely clean before Him. And I stand in the presence of an Almighty God with faith at this point because I feel worthy because I'm not dirty. I feel worthy because I'm clean. And I can be in His presence and say, God, you're the one who can do anything. Will you do this? Please, God. And I stand in the holy place before God and make my supplication known. And you should spend specific time praying for your immediate family. You need to pray prayers like, God, if, if you have a, a child out of church or you have someone that's not living for God in your family, there ought to be something on your face where you're saying, God, I need this person saved. I have faith that you can bring them back. I know that they can be living for you, God. Do what it takes. Do what it takes. Do what it takes. Get them here. 
If you have children, there ought to be a time of, of God, let my children, I pray for my boys. I just sit there and I weep, I weep and I say, God, when they grow up, God, don't let them go through everything that I had to. Just let them love you. Just let them love you. If that's alone, if they will fall in love with you, then they're going to serve you. It don't matter how hard it gets. If they love you, they'll keep on doing it. They'll keep on walking. They won't give up. It don't matter what they go through. If you just love God, if you just love them. There's not one of us in this place that would say tonight, I'm here because I don't love God. We are here because there is something inside of us that loves God. And that's what we got to pray. we got to fall in love with God. When that verse we read about falling and doing the first works. The first works was the love towards God. There was a turning away from the world. I said, I'm not going to be like that anymore. I'm going to be what He wants me to be. And I took a step way away from the world and a step way towards Him. And we got to keep doing that in our lives. Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. I will tell you, that prayer always don't mean you've got to walk around speaking in tongues 24 hours a day. But it does mean that at any given point, if God wants to speak to you, He can. At any given point, you're in a mode or a frame of mind, and what you're doing, if God wants to have a conversation, you're ready. That's prayer without ceasing. It's having a mindset stayed on Him. <clears throat> My Lord. So this is what drives unity when you pray, when we pray for all saints. Okay. Oh, I think I don't think I uh, finished that scripture. It said, "Praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance." Perseverance means it ain't easy all the time. It's a little bit of a fight at times, but you just keep on going. And supplication for all saints. That means whether you like them or you don't like them, you better pray for them. Because the same body of Christ that you're in, they're in also. And if the body's blessed, then you're blessed. So bless anybody that I may not like. I lift them up. Pray for them. Come on. I pray for Brother Hill more than all of them. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Now, in the... Inside of the holy place, there were three things. One was the candlestick. The, the unique thing about the candlestick is what it represented. It was the only light that was shining in the holy place. You want to know what's significant about that? I look at the light of the world all the time, but when I get into a place with God, His light shines on me and I see it in a different way. The only light that should be in your prayer life is the light of God. Now, the cool th- another neat thing about the candlestick was it had 66 knobs on it that represented the 66 books of the Bible. Now, we didn't know it then. We didn't, at that point, they didn't understand that there were 66 knobs exactly, and that later on there would be exactly 66 books of the Bible. But guess what? God knew, and he, he foreshadowed. There is also seven flames on it, and you can read about the seven spirits of God. In Revelation. So it was very significant to knowing about his personality. Then you had the table of showbread. The table of showbread was representation of Jesus himself. He is the Word made flesh. He dwelt among us. All right? 
So we, we need to pray the Word. We need to take the Word of God and say, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seed begging bread. God, there's people in our church that don't got money right now, but this Scripture said, if they're righteous, they ought not, they ought not be in that situation. Can I remind you about what your Word says, God? The Bible says, ask and you shall find. Come on, I mean, you just ask. God, it's going to be given to you. Amen. All right. So Jesus quoted out of Deuteronomy himself when Satan approached him. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we have to live in this, in this, in this mind frame. So the table of showbread, it's praying the word of God for your family. It's praying the word of God for your church. It's taking, that, taking those up and just saying, God, this is what I want you to do. And this is what your word says. And if I'm saying it and your word's saying it, then, then, then you ought to do something about it. And then there was the altar of incense. And the altar of incense is where the prayers went up before God. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. All right. Now, if you noticed in there, that the last thing in the tabernacle, there was a veil before the Holy of Holies. There was something that separated. Now, this veil wasn't just an ordinary veil. This veil was one foot thick. It spanned the entire length of the tabernacle. There was only one priest allowed to go behind that veil. And that guy had to wear um, a rope on his ankle with a bell. And if the bell stopped sounding, then they had to drag him out because he was dead and he wasn't clean. He had forgot to do all the ritualistic and the heart issues before he walked into the presence of God. Thank the Lord we can walk in his presence and he don't kill us today. <laughs> but the point is, is it wasn't easy in that day to walk into the presence of God. All right? So we had to get past the veil. Now, Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. But I tell you, as far as I'm concerned, I don't want to hide from the Lord. So when he gets real good and thick in his service, I don't want to say, better not. Not sure what people might think of me. Better not. I'll just stay. You know, God's doing stuff in me. Mm-hmm. He's working on me. Mm-hmm. And you never change, and you keep coming to church saying, he's working on me. Mm-hmm. Yep. The point is, is you will never change until you're in the presence of God. But I guarantee you, the moment that you step into the presence of God, your entire attitude, your, the way you look, your countenance, your spirit, it changes. It simply changes. You might have been thinking one way, and then all of a sudden you're thinking another way. People are always like, well, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I, I can't go to church because I can't give up smoking, or I can't give up drinking, or I can't give up this or that or whatever it may be. I promise you, one experience with the Holy Ghost, and you'll be throwing it all away. It don't matter what drug it is. It don't matter how good it felt. Sweetheart, you'll throw him away or her away. Trust me. One experience in the presence of God. They better get on board with you or see you later. Because you just feel good. You know what you're missing in your life. I want life and life more abundantly. So the Holy of Holies was the place where we get past the veil into his presence. And Psalm 1611 says, In thy presence is fullness of joy. So I'm not going to receive fullness of joy, Brother Fox, unless I get into his presence. Some of us walking around with a long face all the time need to be a little bit more in the presence of God because there's a point where he just fills you full of joy. 
you're just happy. It's just okay. Life's going to be, be fine. He's the fullness of joy. Psalms 19.14 says, or, or that was Psalms 19.14, excuse me. Um, so the veil is kind of representory of our flesh in a lot of ways. We have to get past the flesh to get into the spirit. But we must worship him in spirit and in truth. So I can't just, I, I may be able to praise him in the flesh, but there's a point where I've got to worship God, and I've got to worship him in the spirit and in truth. All right? So the Holy of Holies is where pure worship from me to him is allowed to take place. It's the place where I just sit at his feet. It's the place where relationship happens. It's the intimacy between you and him that takes place. I promise you this, if you ever want to be anything in the kingdom of God, if you want to be used, if you want to, what, it doesn't matter what you want to do, you will never do it until it's birthed out of your relationship with God. You can try to do it on your own, but you're going to fall flat on your face. But when your relationship with God is right, and you are knowing Him, and you're together, and you're walking with God, He will birth people into your life. He will birth ministry into your life. He will birth whatever is necessary. Miracles will be birthed into your life simply because you're in relationship with God, and there's intimacy taking place. Amen, amen. And so once you're into this place, and you're into this intimacy, intimate relationship with God and, and he's knowing you on an emotional level and an intellectual level and, and you're sharing things with him and he's revealing things to you. At this point, there is still one thing left and that's the Ark of the Covenant. And this is so significant because this is what came to me in prayer. So the Ark of the Covenant is the picture on the right here. And in this, there is angels' wings that spread and touch and, and this scripture of Psalms 91 came to me. That he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And all of a sudden I realized that I don't just have to be in the room with the ark. I can get on it. And I can get in the wings. And I can be under the shadow. And when I'm in that secret place, now it's just me and him. And now something can really take place. Because he's going to grab a hold of something in my heart when it's just me and him. My God, my, whoo, mm, Jesus, mm. oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. And so I get into a secret place with him and we wonder where it is, but it's in his presence. And when I'm in his presence, I can get and I can, I can get on the ark, but then I don't have to stop there. I don't just have to get on the ark because I can actually get in the ark. If, if you want to know the next slide, in the ark, there were three things. There was the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments represents the law of God. And, and, and God said to Moses, he said, there's going to be a day where I'll take the commandment and I'll write it on their hearts. And so when you take the Ten Commandments and you begin to pray that kind of prayer, you say, God, hide your word in me that I, hide your word in me that I might not sin against you. I know I quoted that quite, not quite right, but it's there. You know what I'm trying to say? Hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thank you. You didn't say it, but thank you anyway. All right. So the law is equal to the word of God. So this is where you're saying, take the word and put it into me. Write it on my heart so I carry it with me everywhere. I want it with me. I want it a part of me. I want it to be in my actions. Let the word be a part of my life. And so the second thing was Aaron's rod. And Aaron's rod is significant because it represented signs and miracles that came out of Egypt. It wrought those miracles. A lot, of the t a lot of time in the Bible, 
it, when, when God tells Moses to do something, Aaron holds up his rod. Okay? But there was a one specific instance in Exodus 2-4 when, when Moses stood before the burning bush. In that instance, God said, what do you have in your hand? And Moses replied, a rod. And he said, throw it down. And he threw it down and it became a snake. And he said, pick it up. And he picked it up and it, be, and it became a, a rod again. And the significance is, is 16 verses later, he was walking with the rod of God. At some point in that time, God used what he had. He wasn't looking for what he didn't have. He wasn't looking for the abilities and talents of other people. He was saying, Isaiah, what do you have that I can use to do miracles with? He was saying, Brother Elder, what, what do you possess that I can do miracles with? Because I'm God. I can, do, I can use anything in a miracle from it. So when you get to the Aaron Rod prayer, you're saying, God, take of me what I am. Don't let me envy others. I don't care about their ministries and the fact that I don't want them. I simply want what you have for me. Use me. Use what I have, my abilities, and let me see the kind of things and the miracles that were wrought in Egypt by a simple rod. And the last thing that was in there is the pot of manna. And, and the pot of manna is significant because in that day, they were, the children of Israel were fed by manna. It was heavenly bread. It was heavenly nourishment. And in this instance, you can take of the very nourishment that God has for you, and you can say, feed me what you want to feed me. This is the point where you study the Bible from an allegorical perspective. And I know it's a big word, but it simply means from a perspective where God reveals to you things. He opens up the word. The Jewish people believe that, that every, every word and every space in between a word is blessed. That at this point that there is literal meanings in every single aspect of the Bible. That's why Jesus said he's not going to remove one jot or tittle. That's the, that's the smallest letter in the Jewish alphabet. You see what I'm saying? So he's not going to remove one bit from the law because if it, if it removed, then it's going to change everything. So the pot of manna is where I study it and God reveals open to me. If you want to know, there's four levels of reading the Bible. The first one that deals with where I just read it for pleasure. The second one I deal where I compare scriptures to other scriptures. It's called scriptural harmony. I look at it across the whole thing and I say, what does the entire Bible say? What do all the scriptures put together say? And I kind of get this, this uh, feeling that the, across from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, it pretty much says there's one God. You know, it's all the way in the beginning, and then it's all the way at Jesus is called God. He said, you know, hey, if you've seen the Father, or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, so you get into these things, and so we look at it from scriptural harmony, not just one or two verses. But what does the entire Bible say? Then you do it word for word. What does this word mean, and what does this word mean? And I study it from that perspective, and God opens it up. And then this last one is where I study it from an allegorical perspective, and God reveals his revelation of the ins it's, it's inspired by him. You wouldn't get it just reading it just for pleasure. How many of you have ever just read the Bible, and you read it over and over again, but then one time you read that scripture, and all of a sudden it just, whoa, i never seen that. And then he preaches it next Sunday. You know, that's the way it works. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, and so I want to wrap this up. This is the step or the process 
that, that you can do a prayer, and you can do 15 minutes of thanksgiving, and you can do th- or 15 minutes in thanksgiving and in um, praise, and you can do um, another 15 minutes in repentance, and you can do another uh, f- repentance and um, cleanliness and washing yourself. And then when you get into the tabernacle, there's 30 minutes of tabernacle prayer, 15 in the holy place, and another 15 in the holy of holies being with him. So if you want to pray an entire hour a day, guess what? I kind of broke it down to our young people, and I said, do something called 15, 15, 30. Find a, find, if you don't have one hour as a whole thing, we'll do 15 somewhere, do 15 somewhere else, and then find 30 minutes at the end of the day that you can give to God because that's an hour of your prayer life. So some of us that struggle on how to pray, that's what this is all about. Let, and let me put it into today's term. Let me wrap it up and put it all, this, this is the sum, this is the thesis of everything. I enter the church through the gate. I walk into the prayer room and I take care of my repentance and my washing. Then I walk into the sanctuary, which is the holy place. And I make supplication known before God. And while I'm at it, I pray until I get past the veil, my flesh, and I get into His presence, the Spirit. And once I'm in the Spirit and in His presence, I feel the joy of the Lord. And that's when I can begin to worship God. And worship begins to flow out of me because no flesh is going to glory in His presence. Then He begins to deal with my heart. And he speaks to me, and I find myself in a secret place with him. And that's where the growth begins. And he uses me for who I am. And he writes the law on my heart, and he begins to give me revelation of the word, which is inspiration from the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't care who you are, God is really cool when that revelation came. I almost did a backflip over that one. The tabernacle that was in the Old Testament, we sit in almost every service. That's why you've got to be in a prayer room before you enter the holy place. Because your flesh better not be glorying in His presence. I've got to find a place to crucify my flesh. Once I've crucified my flesh, that's where I'm going to see the miracles and signs. Because I'm not going to take credit for it. It's not going to be me. It's going to be Him. And I'm going to say, look what God did. Look what He did. Look how many people He filled with the Holy Ghost. Look how many people that He baptized. Look how many people that He healed and He saved and He delivered. Amen? You with me? Praise God. Praise. That's all I got. That's it. All I'm saying is that there is a way to pray. And there is a way to, to get to God. And if you have a consistent prayer life and it works for you, then that's great. But if you want to do this and you want to try it, I, I gave you a handout. I promise you it will change your life. It will change the way you pray. It will change the way you approach God. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Just ask God to go with us. Some of you, how many will commit to me that at least one time before next Wednesday you'll try to pray the tabernacle prayer? I just want to see what happens on Sunday. It's a con- it is. It's a concept. You don't have to pray those specific things. You just got those, those are things that you can step through. And as you step through them, God will add to you your own scriptures. God will add to you your own prayer life. God will change it for you. It's not going to be the same as me. 
It's exa- Yes. And, and to, uh, to sum it up, it, it, Jesus said um, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, the, and how do you get to the way? Well, you enter through the door. How do you get to the truth? Well, you better go to a church. And you better find truth in a sanctuary. And how do you find life? Well, it's through the Holy Ghost in His presence. The presence that He has comes in you. Do you see how prophetic that word is? I mean, you take something all the way back from Exodus, and God is telling Moses to do all this stuff, and it has an implication for me in my life today. Amen. Let's pray. Let's ask God to be with us. Let's, let, let's just let God have his way for a minute. God, we love you and we thank you, Jesus. Uh, I pray somehow, some way, our lives are changed by your word, God. Thank you for your revelation, God. Thank you for what you want to do in our lives, God, and how we are praying and how we are being changed in you. Lord, the things that are happening to us, we give you honor and praise for. We want to continue to see mighty things happen, God. We don't want to ever get complacent in you, God. We want to continue to grow and see more, Jesus. So we ask you, God, that you will begin to write the law on our heart. Begin to take it with us, God. Everywhere we go, let our lives reflect your glory, God. Let us be the salt of the earth. Let, Lord, as we are the salt of the earth, that others become thirsty for you, Jesus. I pray now in your name, now in your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Your name is great and greatly to be praised. You're the mighty God, the true God. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. That's all I got. You are dismissed in Jesus' name. Appreciate you being here tonight.